Thank you, Jim, for your kind introduction, and thank you to the worship team for leading us in our uh, songs of praise and adoration to our great God. Pastor Andy told me that he was preaching a series of messages uh, this summer on the first nine chapters in the book of Proverbs. And so I would like to uh, introduce this uh, topic for today uh, by referring to a very practical verse in Proverbs that ties in with the scripture that we're going to be looking at together uh, in Romans chapter 13. It's a verse that only has nine words in it, Proverbs 14, verse 34. In that verse we read, Proverbs, or we read, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. That's the theme for our service today as we think about government and the relationship that we have as Christian citizens with the government that God has placed over us. There are good governments and there are bad governments. There are good citizens and there are bad citizens. And the Bible gives us instruction how we as Christian citizens ought to relate to the government authorities that have been placed over us. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Paul in Proverbs, in, in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, talks about that subject and gives us some further detail that we're going to be looking at uh, together today. Proverbs, or Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. These are the words of God to us, and as we reflect on them today, we're reminded of the fact that we live in a country that we have been uh, given great blessings. A couple weeks ago on 4th of July weekend, we celebrated the 246th anniversary 
of the founding of the United States of America as an independent nation. There were national ceremonies that marked that event, as well as community parades and pageants and concerts and displays of religious and patriotic celebrations. The greatest thing that we have to celebrate is the fact that we are one nation under God. Those two little words were added to the uh, declaration or the allegiance to the flag only comparatively a short time ago. It took a long time for those two words to get there, but they are the most important words that we have in our pledge of allegiance to the flag. One nation under God. They state exactly what the Apostle Paul said is true of every good government when he wrote, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, in some respects, this is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. Just what is Paul really saying to us here? Does he mean that there must be a strict allegiance to the law of the land and the whim of a leader, no matter how autocratic and how authoritarian those laws and that leadership might be. During this past year, we've heard daily news stories about the unspeakable atrocities that Russian troops under the direction of Vladimir Putin have committed in the country of Ukraine. More than 11,000 alleged war crimes, including the mass slaughter of, of civilians and rape, are now under investigation. The prosecutor general of Ukraine said recently that 338 children have been confirmed to have been killed by Russian troops. Another 610 children have been wounded, and there are many more children who are missing, and we're not sure what has happened to them. All of this despite the fact that Vladimir Putin maintains that he is not targeting civilians at all. And all of this has taken place since the war began on February 24 of this year. Is Paul saying to us here that the ungodly and evil government of Vladimir Putin has been established by God? Or to bring this closer to home, is our government here in the United States of America one that you agree with entirely, or are there some things that have happened in the course of our nation's history that you in good conscience oppose? Ever since the Roe v. Wade decision was passed on January 22, 1973, abortion has been allowed throughout the entire United States of America, and that decision has led to the death of 2,000 360 unborn children every day since then. As Christians, we believe that abortion is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. And we are thankful for the recent decision of the United States Supreme Court, which overturned Roe v. Wade. But now that battle has shifted to the states. And we as Christians have the responsibility 
to come alongside women who are facing an unexpected pregnancy to encourage them and to support them in their decision to choose for life and to provide the necessary guidance and support that they need in order that more American children may be given the opportunity for a full and unique life. How does Romans 13 educate us to living as responsible Christians in the midst of a complex, highly problematic world such as the one that you and I are living in today? It's important for us to understand one of the capital um, principles involved in the interpretation of Scripture. One of the most important things we need to remember when we look at verses in the Bible is that the Bible is its own best commentary on itself. And if you want to know what one verse of the Bible says, you have to make sure you compare that verse with other verses from the Bible so that you can understand the Bible in its total context. What does that mean? This means that we as Christians who take the Bible seriously, that we as Christians who believe that the Bible is the inspired and infallible word of God, the only infallible rule for faith and practice, are determined not to quote the Bible out of context. We take every Bible verse seriously, and we compare it to other Bible texts that address the same issue so that we can get the complete picture. It's important for us to compare what these early verses in the book of, of Proverbs uh, chapter 13 say about the Christian and government authorities and what other passages in the Bible have to say about that very same subject. And when we do that, we discover that this passage speaks to faithful Christians and their relationship to a government that is doing what a government ought to do. Other passages in the Bible talk about how Christians relate to governments that are not faithful to God's command and God's will for our lives, who are functioning in a way that a government ought not to be functioning. There's nothing in these verses here in Romans 13 that speaks to what a believer should do when a government persecutes the faith and departs from divinely revealed law and order. This passage addresses the Christian, not the government. It addresses the faithful Christian citizen and the lawless Christian citizen. Other passages in the Bible talk about governments that are not faithful to the Lord. We have to look at them in order to get the full and complete picture. Now, it's ironic that these strong words, calling faithful Christians to citizenship, were written by the Apostle Paul, because the Apostle Paul had his own problems with government leaders in authority over him. You would have thought that he would have been able to see into the future and predict that he himself would come to an untimely end due to his relationship to authorities that opposed what he was doing as a missionary of the gospel. And frankly, I'm convinced that Paul was fully aware of what was going to happen. But Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had a healthy system of priorities. He was determined to be a good citizen of the Roman government. He saw himself as the beneficiary of many things 
that the Roman government was providing for him and for other citizens in that day. They had provided peace in the first century. They had provided good roads, a common language, a creative intellectual environment. He had at times been the recipient of some very difficult, inconvenient circumstances as a missionary, and he had faced enormous persecution because of his role of proclaiming the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. But he continued to maintain a positive attitude and pride in his Roman citizenship and a healthy capacity to see both the positives as well as the negatives of a government system that combined both the best of enforcing law and order and the rights of citizenship along with some of the very worst, the totalitarian and dictatorial power abuse. This passage in Romans 13 deals with the relationship between a Christian and government authorities who are behaving responsibly. But there are other passages throughout the scripture that talk about the problems that people of God face when the government that is over them are not behaving the way a government ought to be functioning. And when civil law and divine law are in opposition or conflict each other, then the duty of a a believer in Jesus Christ is to follow the divine law rather than the law of the government. When the believers go against the government, they must do so not simply because they don't like what the government is doing or because they think that the government is infringing on their rights, but they must do so only when they are convinced that the government is going against God's divine rule and authority. That is the ultimate standard by which we must judge what is right and wrong. Jesus confronted that question in his own day in a most graphic way. You may remember that story when the Pharisees and Herodians came to him one day to try to trap him in his talk. They came and asked him this question, Teacher, we know that you are a man who was a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by other people because you pay no attention to who they are or what they think. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He knew they were trying to trick him. He knew they wanted to force him into saying something that would get him into trouble. And so he asked them to bring him a coin. He took the coin that they gave to him and he he looked it over and examined it, turning it to one side and then to the other. And then he asked them, whose image and inscription is on this coin? they acknowledged that it was Caesar's. So Jesus bluntly gave them the ultimate definite solution to their question. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Do you see the corrective that is taking place in this passage of scripture and what that brings to the issue that we're talking about? It calls us as at points to responsive civil disobedience. Let me give you a few examples. Take the story of Moses, for example. 
He was out in the wilderness when God appeared to him in the burning bush and called him to an impossible assignment. He was being called to deliver the people of Israel out of the bondage of their slavery in Egypt. He had to go up against the most, one of the most powerful nations in the world and free the people of God. How could he possibly accomplish that task? But God had called him, and he knew that he had to be obedient to God. Ten plagues were inflicted upon the Egyptians before Pharaoh's heart was finally softened to the point where he relented and allowed them uh, to leave. And they spent some time in the wilderness and eventually entered into the promised land. But all of that was possible only because Moses was willing to take seriously the command of God. And he put obedience to God ahead of loyalty to the government under which the people of Israel were living. Or take the story of, of Daniel, for example. He would never have prayed to his Lord, opening the windows to Jerusalem so that people could see him. He would have kept his convictions to himself, praying in secret and in quiet, without risking his neck by praying openly to his Lord, even though the law of the land now said that you may pray only to the king. He was willing to be thrown into a den of lions because of his deep conviction that loyalty to his God took priority over obedience to a national law. Or take the story of Nathan, for example. He would have been, never been able to address David the way he did when he confronted David over his sin. Here he was, simply a common man of God, doing what he was called to do, to point out sin in the life of the ruler, and that was something that would go against the standards and the protocol of that day. But nevertheless, he was loyal and obedient. And he went to David the king and pointed a finger at him and said, you are that man. And David, who could have cut off Nathan's head, wept in repentance over the sin that he had committed. And without this distinction, the apostles would have quit preaching the gospel. There's a story about that in Acts chapter 4, when, when Peter and John were arrested by the Jerusalem authorities. They were examined, and their case was discussed. And the council called them and commanded them not to speak or teach any longer in the name of Jesus. And what was their response? Did they buckle under this authority? Did they give in and say, well, I guess we have to obey the authorities over us? They raised exactly the question that we are talking about right now. They said, what is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judge, but as for us, we cannot help but do and keep on speaking what we have seen and what we have heard. And they went right out and kept on preaching until the officers in control of the government at that time hauled them in again and said, didn't you hear us the first time? We told you not to teach or preach any longer in the name of Jesus, and you have disobeyed our orders. Did they buckle under? 
Luke recounts these words of response from Peter and the other, the other disciples saying, we must obey God rather than men. And they went right on preaching. There never would have been a reformation if Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and the others had simply buckled under to the religious and civil authorities of their day. Read their writings. You will find some of the highest defenses of the rights of God-established civil authority. They were not anarchists. They were determined to live within the system, but they had their priorities straight. And they knew that it was right for them to give the highest allegiance and loyalty to God and not to the government authorities over them. And without that sense of prioritization, slavery would never have been abolished. The child labor laws would never have been changed. Women would never have been given voting rights. For these and most other serious justice issues in human history were brought about by people who took the scriptures seriously. They were not anarchists. They were not people who wanted to overthrow the government. They were not wanting to abolish the government, but they were persons who saw a higher authority, the very authority that brings government into being. And once you understand that basic biblical principle, that the Bible is its own best commentary, then we can look more carefully at what Paul is saying to us in these opening verses of Romans chapter 13. There is tremendously powerful teaching here in what Paul has to say to the Christians in Rome. The first point is this. A good Christian is a good citizen. We live in a day in which many people have become cynical about government. They are skeptical about institutions. They are even afraid of churches that are too highly organized and have any other kind of accountability to other congregations or to a larger denominational structure. The facts are that God has established authority. He has delegated leadership to parents in the home, to elders and deacons in the church, and to civil authorities who serve in government. We are called to obey the law and to submit ourselves in authority to those God has placed over us. As Romans 13 verse 1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Why then are we to be good citizens? subjecting ourselves to the governing authorities. Because we know that God has always stood in opposition to anarchy. Because we know that God wants us to live as responsible citizens in an orderly kind of life. Our accountability is to the Lord, who has called us to live out our lives in a way that brings praise and honor and glory to him. And there is no place for anarchy in Christian living. There is no place for a rugged individualism that puts personal self-interest as the determining factor in the decisions that we make. A believer in Jesus Christ 
whether he is a United States citizen or a citizen of Russia, stops at a red light, no matter what his disagreements may be with the philosophical and, 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 and ethical positions of the leaders of the country in which he lives. There are many good laws in countries whose basic philosophical understanding of human nature is contrary to biblical Christianity. And the Christian, the believer, has a responsibility to be a good citizen, obeying those laws in the nation as long as those laws are not in opposition or a conflict with the law of God. Secondly, a good Christian understands that resistance to authority will produce two specifically painful results. One result is external in nature. Civil disobedience brings severe consequence, or at least it should. Think twice before you resist the authorities. There may come a time when, because of your Christian convictions, you will choose to disobey the government. But remember, if you do that, you may incur judgment as a result of that. That's what Paul says here in verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. If you are doing good, don't worry if painful judgment comes upon you all the way from a fine unfairly levied to imprisonment. But if you are doing wrong, you should be worrying. If you are doing something that is bad, you should be afraid. An evil person should be afraid of the government because the government has been given the responsibility to police society. But there's a second result of inappropriate resistance that we need to be in mind of. And that is internal in nature. Your conscience is going to bother you. We've already implied that. Paul writes about that in verse 5 when he says clearly, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. You see both the external and the internal dimension when we respect the authorities, when we are subject to them. We no longer have to live in fear that marks the life of a criminal, nor do we have to live with a troubled conscience. In fact, for most of us, a troubled conscience is something that we have to deal with much more than fear of some penalty that the government may inflict upon us. What a clean feeling it is to be transparently honest before the Lord, knowing that if you are persecuted, it is because of your faith and not because of your dishonesty or your disobedience. And thirdly, a good Christian understands the importance of appropriate obedience. We are given specific instructions here in verses 6 and 7. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, 
than honor. You and I are to pay taxes. Tax evasion is a a sin. The other extreme is paying taxes unnecessarily. This is foolish. You are not a steward if you give more taxes than the law requires. One way many of us can reduce the taxes that we have to give is to give generously to support the work of the church and its various ministries. The prophet Malachi warned the people of Israel not to break covenant with God by withholding the tithes and offerings. He says in Malachi 3, verses 10 through 12, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And Jesus said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. You and I are to pay revenue. That means import and export duties. God does not want you to smuggle goods in and outside of the United States, whether that might be a jewelry item or some large commercial enterprise in which you are engaged. And you are to respect the authorities. You are to give honor and respect to the office of the one who has authority over you. Some of you have been in the military and You know what it is like to salute a a superior whose office you respect even though you have no respect for the man who holds that office. You know he is a man of poor morals. But you also know that the office he holds deserves respect. Nero was the emperor of Rome in Paul's day. And like Vladimir Putin, Nero was guilty of numerous war crimes. And he tried to cast blame on the Christians and and persecuted them mercilessly and, and even threw them to the lions. But Paul respected the emperor and his office, even though he did not condone Nero's attitude or obey Nero's laws, if those laws would be in conflict with the laws of God. So what's the bottom line in all of this? We could put it in a couple of ways. First of all, obey the government when it is right. Functioning in accordance with the biblical teachings that we hold dear. But disobey the government when it is wrong. Acting in opposition to what God requires of you in the scriptures. Even though you may have to suffer the consequences for that disobedience. As Proverbs 14, verse 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Or another way of saying this is, obey God always, and obey the government usually. Christians who defend Nero or Hitler or Putin by quoting Romans 13, are wrong. 
because they are putting the government before God. Christians who engage in civil disobedience because they don't want to live within the laws of the land are also wrong because they are not giving to Caesar what is due Caesar. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. You can be a model citizen and still be lost. You can do what is right and not know the Lord. You need to confess your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone in order for you to be saved, in order to, for you to know that, that your sins are forgiven and eternal life is your inheritance in glory. Being a good citizen doesn't make you a Christian. But being a good Christian should make you a good citizen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these instructions given to us about the relationship that we have as Christians with the governing authorities that are over us. We thank you for the blessings that we enjoy in the United States of America and for the freedoms we have to worship and serve you. And we pray that we may take these privileges and use them to the fullest possible extent so that we may be good citizens of this land in which we live, supporting our government whenever we possibly can, and when there are things that are wrong and contrary to your word, using our voice to alert our government officials to the needs that need to be changed. Help us to serve you with honesty and integrity so that your name may be honored and glorified through our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen.